Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, we worship you as Lord Jesus, as the risen Lord. And at this moment, when we open your word, when we listen to your word and see what it means to us, we pray that you guide us in speaking and in listening. In Jesus' name, amen. I read the story of a missionary family that traveled on a freight ship from California to Australia. Now, this was, of course, in the days that people traveled by ship. And one Saturday evening, they were eating together as, at the, what, as it is called the captain's table. And they were only with 12 passengers because it was a cargo ship. Now, the captain, he was quite a heavy drinker. And so, during the meal, he was getting a bit drunk. Then, in the conversation, somebody mentions that they are passing that night the international date line, which is like an invisible line uh, cutting through the Pacific Ocean. And that would mean that they would go to sleep on that Saturday night, that Saturday evening, and then wake up on Monday morning. And so they would lose the Sunday. Then somebody says at the meal, Sunday, but it is Easter Sunday. And now we will lose Easter Sunday. And now the captain, he stands up struggles to stand up, half drunk, raised his voice and he says, I drink to that, a toast to a world without Easter. It would be better if we had a world without religion. No Easter, join me, lift the glass. But nobody joined him in his toast. What would our world look like without Easter? What if Jesus had not been raised? I think it would be a terrible place. A world without hope, no living Jesus, no church, no grace, no future. Someone said, and I quote, simply put, if there was no resurrection, then Jesus would not have been there holding my hand and comfort me while I walk through the hell that was my childhood. If he had not been there, I would have not survived. But hallelujah, we have a risen Lord. We live in a world with Easter. So let's take a moment this morning to see what a difference Easter makes in our world in our situation, and also why it is really necessary for us to share that message of Easter with others. And so this morning we look again at the passage we read from the Gospel of John about the resurrection. That story in John is very personal. It focuses especially on Mary Magdalene. We read Mark's gospel yesterday 
and there three women were mentioned by name, but here it is only Mary Magdalene that is mentioned going to the tomb on that early Easter Sunday. Now I know some people get a little bit worried about these four accounts that we have in the Gospels. Four stories about the resurrections and there are some differences and of course there are also many things that are the same. But I personally, I don't worry about it so much because I think it shows us that the story of Jesus, the story of the resurrection is too rich to be captured by just one account and that's why we have the richness of four stories and each writer, each gospel writer is giving his own emphasis and his own perspective. So let's look at John's perspective. As I said, he focuses on Mary Magdalene. Here in John there are no dramatic events like an earthquake or bright shining angels that create fear, which we, we saw in Matthew and it also came across through, this, through one of the songs just now. But John focuses on this one woman with a grief. A woman who wants to be with Jesus even after he has died. And she can't wait till the sun has gone up. She's going to the tomb in the dark because she's unable to let Jesus go. How could she continue life without him? From the Gospels, we know a few things about Mary. First of all, that she's a follower, she's a disciple of Jesus. And also, interestingly enough, Luke tells us that she is supporting financially the ministry of Jesus. You know how it's interesting where, like where Jesus gets his money from. Um, but this was one source that some people were supporting him, and Mary of Magdalene was, of Magdala was one. And, very important, we're also told that she was freed by seven demons. And so Jesus has healed her brokenness, and she's a changed woman. And she's also there when Jesus is crucified, and now she's here at the tomb, and she will witness, she will witness the risen Christ. So we have two scenes in the Gospel of John, as it was just read. The first scene is at the empty tomb, and then there is this moving scene where Jesus appears to Mary, and we are looking briefly at this second scene. So Mary is now out, standing outside the tomb. She bent over to look in, and then instead of the linen burial uh, wrappings, she sees an angel. She sees two angels, one at each side of the place where the body was laid. But Mary doesn't seem to be shocked about the presence of the angels, and so there is a conversation. The angels say, woman, why are you weeping? And Mary says, they have taken my Lord, and I don't know where they have taken him. She clearly doesn't understand yet what has transpired. She still believes that the body of Jesus has been stolen. And for her, there is no expectation yet that he would be resurrected. For her, that question is simply adding insults 
to injury. She had come to mourn and she could not believe that the body of Jesus had been taken. But then she turns away and suddenly she sees a man standing there, but she doesn't know yet it is Jesus. Apparently his resurrected body was not recognizable to her. And so this man asks, woman, why are you crying? For whom are you looking? And she still doesn't recognize him. She thinks he's the gardener. And she says, they have taken him away. Tell me if you know where they have taken him. And then we get to this most profound moment in the story. And here everything changes. Because Jesus calls her by her name, Mary. And suddenly in that moment, it becomes clear to her. And she responds with, Rabuni, my Lord, my teacher. And it's clearly that she is a follower, a disciple of Jesus. Her coming to the tomb early that morning showed her commitment to Jesus, to her teacher. But now also her tears when she thought that the body was taken, shows her love for him. And now for Mary, the unthinkable could be thought. Jesus had been resurrected from the dead. But Jesus tells her not to hold him, not to touch him. Because he says, I have not yet ascended to the Father. Jesus in transition holding on to to the incarnate Jesus at that point would be holding on to the past. Mary had to let go, to let go of this Jesus in order to move into the future. The risen Jesus standing in front of her is not the same Jesus as she had met before. And the same is also true for us. We cannot hold on to him in that sense. Because the permanent presence of Christ for us comes through the Spirit, who Jesus and the Father have sent after Jesus was glorified. And that is how we, like Mary, later also have a relationship with Jesus. And then... Jesus gives Mary specific instructions. Go to my brothers, my brothers, he says, and tell them I'm ascending to the Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And so Mary becomes the first apostle, an apostle who is somebody who's sent with a message, with the good news. And the good news is, I have seen the Lord. That is the witness of Mary. She gives testimony of her experience. So the resurrection of Jesus did not return Mary and Jesus to the situation as it was. Rather, it opened up a new perspective. And so Easter is not a return to the past, but it is a movement to the future. We cannot hold on to the past. Our calling is to walk, comforted and directed by the Spirit, but to walk into the future as God has it for us.
So back to that question at the beginning. What difference does Easter make in this world and does, make, and, and does it for us? I want to, to mention three things here. First of all, that Easter confirms that Jesus is the true Messiah. Jesus had announced his death and resurrection already in the beginning of the Gospel of John. In John 2, Jesus answers the Jews, Jewish leaders, destroy, I mean, he says to these uh, Jewish leaders, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. And of course, the Jews are puzzled. How can that be? They think it's about the physical temple, and then John explains, but he was speaking about the temple of his body. So it was already announced, and here it happened. And because so many witnesses, as we also was mentioned in the Acts reading, have seen the risen Christ, we know that the resurrection is something that really happened. I had on Good Friday already a story from South Sudan, and I continue in that tradition because we, we had some, some special years there. So when we were living in South Sudan, and I was teaching at a, an Anglican uh, theological school there, my students told me one day that we were living at the east side of the Nile, and they were saying, this tribe on the other side of the Nile, those are really scary people. At night, the men, they turn into lions. Now, I said, I'm sorry, but I can't just accept that story. You know, I have to see it with my own eyes before I believe it. And that's also how many people look at the resurrection. We have to see it with our own eyes. Now, we have not literally... And I hope that you yourself can echo these words from Mary. I have seen, which means I've experienced the risen Lord in my own life. But I think maybe the best evidence of the resurrection is the transformation that took place of the disciples, those early disciples. The death of Jesus left them in doubt and fear They'd given up all hope for a better future. But then after the resurrection, we saw the, see this small group of disciples uh, full of confidence, like again we, we heard in the Acts reading, willing to risk their life for the name of Jesus and turning the world upside down. So because of the resurrections, our sins are forgiven, We've received the Holy Spirit and we receive, uh, we worship a living Lord. So that's the first thing. Easter confirms that Jesus is the Messiah. Secondly, Easter tells us that God will put this world right. The cross of Good Friday only makes sense if we look back at it after Easter, after the resurrection. The cross does not make sense without Easter. And the, 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 other, the other way around, it's also true. There is no Easter without the cross. 
A German theologian called Jürgen Moltmann, he once summarized the whole of human history when he said, God weeps with us so that we one day may laugh with him. God weeps with us so that we one day may laugh with him. But of course, we all know that we are still in a world of sin and suffering, and we experience that daily. A number of years ago, when I um, visited uh, the north of Uganda, this was after the time that we had lived ourselves in uh, in South Sudan, people had, from that place where we, where we lived, people had fled because of the violence and they moved to northern Uganda as refugees. And the first time I visited them again, I went to a refugee camp, a refugee settlement, and we were visiting schools, so-called schools, that the church had started, the Anglican church there in the camps. And we get to this place, and there are hundreds and hundreds of children sitting there under a tree in the shade. And so we are with a team from the diocese, and uh, that particular school, 2,000 children had registered for that school. Well, there was nothing. They had a small, a tiny, small blackboard. They were sitting under the tree, and there were some voluntary teachers. And as it goes in, in uh, Africa, uh, the visitors, they, they need to, to, to encourage and to give speeches to the people there. And as I said, mainly children were sitting there. So the bishop, Bishop Emmanuel, he was the first one to speak. And he told his story of how he himself lived in a refugee camp. And he himself, as a child, went to school in the camps on the, in an earlier period of the civil war in South Sudan. So he encouraged them and he said, work hard, look at me, you can even become a bishop if you have been educated in the settlements. And I was thinking, sitting there listening to the bishop, okay, it will be my turn soon, what in the world am I going to say to these children? I wanted to encourage them. But I was thinking, what can I tell them? And so then the parable of the shepherd with a hundred sheep came to my mind. And so I told these children the parable of that shepherd who left the 99 sheep behind to look for that one lost sheep. And then I asked them, who is that lost sheep? And I get even emotional again. And many of these children said, we are. And so then I could encourage them to say, but God is that shepherd and he will not rest until he finds that one sheep and carries it home. So God will put this world right. And I'm not talking about being optimistic. We can be optimistic about the weather or about the economy. But we as Christians live with hope because of Easter. And we know that sin and suffering and evil will not prevail. And that God will make things right. And that injustice will not go unpunished. 
may not happen tomorrow, but it will happen because Jesus defeated death and evil and he rose from the dead. And so only with that hope we can face tomorrow. Only with that hope one can survive in a refugee camp. And only with that hope we can face and live with the challenges of everyday life. In the third place, because of Easter we have a purpose and a mission. Like Mary, who went to the brothers with the good news of the risen Lord, we too tell, need to tell others that we live in a world that has seen Easter and make clear that this day changes everything. But the tra transformation needs to start in our own lives and then it moves into the world around us. And so it is our task to build for the kingdom that God will establish. And that happens when we love somebody who feels unloved. Then we see the kingdom. It happens when we feed the hungry, when we give clothes to the naked, and when we share God's forgiveness to people that need that forgiveness in their lives. Then we are expanding the kingdom of God. So let us continue or let us start that journey of sharing the hope of Easter with those around us. And while we are on this journey, we keep our eyes focused on that final destination. We heard about that in our Isaiah reading. And I'd like to finish with words from C.S. Lewis, the last words in the last book of the Chronicles of Narnia. And I quote, And as Aslan spoke, he no longer looked to them like a lion, but the things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them. And for us, this is the end of all the stories. And we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. And their life in this world and their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. But now, at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story which no one on earth has read. Which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. We praise the living Christ. Amen. Let us stand together as we confess our faith together.